is November 10th, 2013. Our message today is called Wrapped. Uh, now, this is not what Eminem or Peanut or whatever his name is does. I'm talking about wrapped like, like what happens uh, with a Christmas gift, what happens with so many other things. Wrapped, okay? Turn with me to Matthew 16. It's no mistake, it's no uh, secret that this pastor admires men who have deep masculine convictions. I preach about it a lot. I like to talk about it a lot. And I especially like the kind whose convictions run contrary to what's popular. Because in general, I think that the mass movement of Christianity in the United States is headed the wrong way. And those outside of Christianity, of course, are already walking in the wrong way. Look at Matthew 16 with me. When you're there, say, I'm there. In Matthew 16, picking up in the 13th verse, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? You know, that's one of those questions that Christians could answer on a survey. You know, Barna does surveys, churches do surveys, and it's an easy thing to answer. Who do people say that he is? That question doesn't concern me much at all. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The question I like is this next one. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Need to know, saints, that your life says what you think about Jesus. Every day when you walk out your door and you carry out some purpose, whether it's divine or it's profane, your life says something about what you think about Jesus. Isaiah rebuked the people that were supposed to be the people of God. He said, inasmuch as with your lips you draw near to me, your hearts are far from me. And we need to be careful that we don't make the same mistake. With our Christian t-shirts and our Christian bumper stickers and our Christian radio and our Christian wrappings, we can look the part but the important issue is what is actually flowing out of your heart. Not just on Sunday or on Wednesday, but every time you walk out the door to face the world. What is it that motivates you, that wakes you up in the morning or keeps you up at night? What about you, he asked. What, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a revelation a revelation that's been preached about more than any other. And it's this revelation that Jesus set his church on top of. It is not possible to enter the church of Jesus Christ without having this revelation. It's not possible to succeed in the church without it. You might hop over the wall and run alongside the king's highway, but you will never make the celestial city. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. In first Peter two, four through eight, he says that Jesus is a stone or a rock and that we too, like living stones are being built into a spiritual dwelling. It's, of course, an extraordinary misunderstanding to think that Peter himself is the cornerstone of the church. The truth of the gospel is that any man can receive 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. And God builds this way. He builds through giving men His revelation. He also builds through relation. Most of the time when you're reading a passage in the Bible and there's a setting, some kind of community, you can look and see that the people were related. I mean, how many Marys are mentioned in the New Testament? It, it really gets difficult. How many Johns? How many Judas are variants of that word? They built relationally. One man shares his revelation with another man. And as that revelation grows, the kingdom is advancing. They also built through the generations. What God invested in Peter, he expected Peter to invest in other people. And we sit here today as a generation that God has built. And we have a responsibility to pass it on. I, he says in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This next part is very important. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now many of you have heard the Jewish setting in which this takes place. You've heard me talk about Caesarea Philippi as opposed to Caesarea Maritime. You've heard me describe the pantheon of gods that were behind him in the place that he said it. Many of you will remember that they sacrificed babies in this location and they thought it was the very gates of hell. All of those things are important to know. And we've preached on them many times before. But what is more important is for you to get a revelation down in your spirit today that if you are of the substance of the living God, it does not matter what come out the gates of hell, it cannot prevail against you. It is important to know that you cannot be defeated by Satan's schemes. You are not fragile. You are not delicate. You are not the kind that cannot endure or persevere. In fact, the faith that you're a part of demands that you do it. We ought not think it's strange when trials come upon us. If trials are not coming upon you, that would be strange. I'm really excited this morning, happy. It feels much easier in here today. But we weren't called the easy. We weren't called the nice. We weren't called the pretty. And I'm a little bit ticked off while I'm also happy. I'm a complicated man. Because you are the strong sheep that are in here today. You are the well-fed sheep that are in here today. You are the sleek sheep. And a fuel line and a devil has cost me the opportunity to preach to 30 that are not well-fed, that are not strong. Saints, you can take a shot from the enemy, smile in his face, and know you're going to step on his head. You remember last week's message, what we were talking about? Giant killers. You had a clip. Y'all remember the clip? Play it for him, Susan. Do you think those Green Beret karate tricks are going to help you against all these boys? Well, it doesn't look to me like I really have any choice, now does it? <laughs> That's right, you don't. You know what I think I'm going to do then? Tell me. I'm going to take this right foot. And I'm going to whop you that side of your face and you want to know something there's not a thing you're going to be able to do about it really really 
warm your heart the way it warms mine? Our God announced his battle plans in Genesis. It was just like saying, I'm going to put this foot on that side of your face, and there's not a thing you can do about it. And you are purposed, you are tasked, you have been chosen to fulfill that plan. That's why Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, not just Jesus' feet. So Wednesday night, we began to look at Joshua at Gibeon. And we saw that the sun stood still. We saw that they marched all day and all night. And I taught you to say, I can go all day and I can go all night. We are made of heavenly substance. God's spirit has been breathed into us. And the worst lie you could ever receive is the statement that says you can't. You tell me what Jesus cannot do. You tell me what the Spirit of God cannot accomplish. This is why we teach our children scriptures like, I can do everything through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. But the very same scripture we teach them, we often don't believe ourselves. It's important to know that the living God wants to accomplish amazing things through this body of believers. In the all-night march that we saw, we saw a 36-hour day where God was having such a good time seeing his work done that he listened to a man's suggestion. Why don't we lengthen the day and continue this? I'm going to tell you that there are so many hours that a man can work and then night comes when no man can work. John 9 says this, but the living God is able to lengthen your day. And he's able to lengthen your day because he delights when you do his will. And he wants to see his will done. How many of you have got a revelation worth having? How many of you want to share that revelation with others? How many of you will be faithful to hand it down to the generations? The 10th chapter of Romans teaches us how can they believe if there's no one to preach? That becomes your job. It's not the great option. It's the great commission. You find out in the 13th through 15th verses of chapter 10 that it is God wants every man to be saved, but it's dependent upon someone answering the call to go to them. It is our job to bring the revelation. It's our job to be in relation with people. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. We're going to be in 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What do we bring people? We bring them what we ourselves have received. How are you going to receive comfort if you have never been troubled? How are you going to receive salvation if you were never damned? How are you going to know what it is to be set free from the power of sin if you never have been under the power of sin? Of course you have. You were born to disease stock. You were born to a failed human race. But God breathes his life into you and you become born again. And as Brother Curtis said, uh, entirely new species. We go share that revelation with people. We do it through relationship. Pulpit ministry is getting to be a joke. And if that's what we did here, then I would say you should go somewhere else. At the very best, this becomes a huddle. 
And we go be Christians everywhere else that we are. If the only relationship you have with the body of Christ is what happens on Sunday, the body of Christ and you as a part of it are failing. These people live their lives together. Paul could say about Timothy, he will remind you of my way of life which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. The kingdom of God grows as we spend our whole lives together. How many of you fellowship with somebody in this church this week on a non-church day? Look around, saints. That's how you build the community. You build the kingdom of God as people of like revelation dwell together in relationship. You never grow in any setting by hanging out on the outer skirts, the outer courts. Jesus died to bring us into the very center of God's will. He did. And and the barriers that kept you from getting to the very center were torn from the top down as he yelled, it is finished. This was a sign to all mankind. You don't have to live in the outer courts. You don't have to stay at a distance. You can dwell in fellowship with each other. You can dwell in fellowship with God. And the first chapter of 1 John in the 5th through 7th verses teach us that when you have fellowship with him, he puts you in fellowship with each other. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It is not possible to walk with the living God and not walk with the saints. This is why Paul exhorted Timothy to pursue righteousness along with those who also are pursuing righteousness out of a pure heart. God planted you in a special place. We are far from the most special. We are far from the only special. This is not an esoteric or eclectic group of saints that are somehow different or better than others. This is one scattering of believers with the worldwide church of God. And I have found some of the finest saints in some of the strangest places. I've seen under grass huts and on dirt floors men that have earth-shaking, dead-raising power. And they can't even read in their own language. I have watched women in their 80s without shoes walk 12 kilometers to a church building, prophesy in other tongues for an hour, and then interpret it for the next hour, and every word of it be true. Saints, we are not a parachurch. We are not some special group of Green Beret Christians. This is normal Christianity. And you look different because much of what's going on around us is not normal Christianity. And it's not my job to throw stones and participate in friendly fire. It is simply my job to teach the truth. But don't think that this is strange. God is building this everywhere. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. If you really want to grow in the kingdom, we do it generationally. God is not the God of Abraham alone. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of all the generations that succeeded them. He is the God of the next generation that the Bible tells us we are supposed to raise up. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 with me. It will be the 10th verse. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Understand that for the gospel to advance, it has always required sacrifice on the part of the generation that has received. Jackie Pullinger said, the poor of the world can't afford to come here, so we must go to them. And then she gave her life doing it. How can we leave the work of God to five-foot-tall, blonde-haired women like Heidi Baker? Praise God that they're doing it. But one day in the annals of the kings in the heavens, we're going to have to ask why we sent Deborah to war and the generals stayed home. One day we're going to have to answer the question why the most sacrificial work on the planet was done by so few when we who are so well-fed sat in such comfortable places. I say that now we train ourselves today we begin practicing evangelizing the world. We start with our neighbors, and if God moved us into a Muslim neighborhood, then the harvest is ripe. Nowhere in recorded scripture are we told to pray for the harvest. We're told to pray for workers. They're lost and dying everywhere, all around us. And you have something they need. You build by preaching so that they get a revelation, by living in relationship with people. Not saying come over and we'll have Bible study and then push them out the door. But helping people cut their grass and build their decks and talk about their lives and raise their children. Help them move. Well, you find out who your friends are on moving day, don't you? Wasn't it a good feeling when you showed up at the Hutchinson's house and you looked around and there were 30 other people there to help move? That's a life that's connected in the community. Nobody wants to watch the Hutchinsons move alone because everybody remembers that the Hutchinsons helped them move, and that's community. We demonstrate love to each other because love was demonstrated to us. Amen? We live in community. Today, ministers all over America are going to preach themed messages about Veterans Day. They're designed to enlarge their personal empires, there's no real revelation that is, is going to be shared. There might be neat platitudes. Be no real relationship that's occurring. I mean, if you want to meet with the pastor, you got to talk to a secret service agent that follows him around, be pre-screened, get on a list with a secretary, and maybe next year sometime he'll meet with you. No real revelation, no real generational sacrifice. He's not going to lay down his life for you. He doesn't know your name. He expects you to lay down your checkbook for him, and that is the extent of your relationship. The kingdom is not that way. So we won't engage in it here. There'll be no dramatized, thematic stage presentations utilized to move your emotions, empty your pockets, and at the same time, undoubtedly empty your souls. Have you been around Christians these days? that can tell you everything that is said on KSBJ, but not a thing that is written in the Word of God or that God spoke to them. They get born again and they're excited and we should be excited. But you're fearful 
for what's in their future because they're soldiers that are being sent off with spoons and told to move mountains. They don't even know they're at war. They don't even know that they were saved for a purpose. They were simply saved for help in this life and heaven in the next. That's not Christianity, friends. Undoubtedly, all over America this morning, people are going to quote 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. You know why? Because when the pastor woke up this morning or prepared his message 10 years ago and pulled it out of the filing cabinet, this scripture has the word soldier in it. Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he goes on to say, and then a farmer. But let me ask you something about that. What are they enduring? The man who wrote that went through shipwrecks to get the gospel places. He was snake bitten to get the gospel places. He knew what it was to be hungry and cold to get the gospel places. Does talking about a soldier or honoring a soldier one day a year make you a soldier? The man who said those words was not preaching a thematic message to move the emotions of people. The man who said those words had a lifestyle that said the same thing. And this is what we need, saints. We need lifestyles that speak a better message than our mouths can formulate. You're mad this morning? Am I already losing you this morning? I don't know what to do without my friends that are usually sitting over there going, amen, you white people are too quiet. And Curtis left. Daniel, you're our last hope, man. I can count on the Asians. John, where's John? John's out. It's to you Hispanics, Mario. Carry the load, man. Or Larissa, you Africans. You can do it in French, right? How do you say praise God in French? Oh, you're killing me. You are killing We're going to work on your French, Larissa. Am I, am, I, am I mistaken? In Ivory Coast, you did speak French, right? You've been here a long time, huh? Guys, it does no good to preach a message about war while you live on a comfort cruiser, a pleasure ship. The church of the living God is more like a battleship. We live in community. We eat in community. We work in community. Not isolation and pleasure and sin. Boy, has that message been getting around the church? Know for certain that any man who truly hears from heaven and acts on what he hears will be resisted at every turn. Revelation and deeply held conviction always yield an action. If God said something to you, then there has to be a response. If you've had a revelation of something, you cannot leave the same way you came. Brother Doug got a revelation. I remember. He came up after the service and he said, you know, I thought I've always been saved, but when you were preaching today, something seemed to change for me. And since then, his countenance has looked different. He didn't need a USDA stamp that said you prayed a sinner's prayer. So now you're a Christian and a part of the fold. Here, sign the 14 points of doctrine. Throw money in the plate and put your butt in a pew every now and then. He didn't need that. He had a stamp of God's approval in his life. And it showed up with a smile on his face. Amen? The power of God cannot be reduced to legislation. 
It cannot be reduced to strange religious bureaucracy. It happens when ordinary people take extraordinary steps to bring a revelation to other people, to live in relationship with them, and to invest in their future. I met the Treasters on the mission field. And when I heard their testimony, I knew I would love them for the rest of my life, even if I never saw them again. Said that he had a revelation that required a response. His revelation was that he had to invest in missions. That if he invested in missions, God himself would invest in his family. Has it been true, Brother Eric? Oh, man, it's been 100% true. He's the first Christian I ever met that openly said, I have the gift of giving. What? Most say it and are lying when they say it. This brother meant it. He got a mission trip. He's looking for overtime, right? Guys, that kind of sacrifice, I don't want your money. I'm not going to pass a plate today. That kind of sacrifice. And the sacrifice that says, I'm scared, Lord. My knees are shaking and I might throw up, but I am going to go do what you told me to do, even if I'm trembling and throwing up while I'm doing it. That puts God's power on display. Judah, were we scared the first time we went to Africa? Flying to Nairobi in the middle of the night and get into a cab with two large men that are not speaking English and you ask if they're going in the right direction and they don't answer you. We were a little bit white-knuckled and praying in the Holy Ghost, which is probably why they didn't answer us. We were scaring them. To get let out at a hotel that online just looked nice and cheap and in person was called Babylon and had prostitutes all over it. That's why we don't travel alone. It was awkward. After a flight to catch a bus for eight hours and walk into a village that you know nothing about looking for a man that you don't know whether it's his first, middle, or last name. And you haven't seen a paved road in the last ten hours is intimidating. But when you put your hands on people and watch them get filled with the power of God, intimidation goes away. Amen? There's a reason that we went to 23 nations last year. And yet, it's all for nothing if we can't walk across the street and talk to our neighbor. Say, why is it for nothing? It helped them. Yeah, but it becomes just a trophy on your wall instead of a life that you're living. Saints, I want to live out the stories that we view as heroic every day. I want to do it every day. What daring thing can you do for Jesus today? See, I don't want to eat yesterday's bread. It was good yesterday, but I believe God's got something better for me today. You know, it is America and it is Veterans Day. This is the only story you're going to get out of me that has to do with Veterans Day. Is that all right? Still not a thematic message, I promise. It's shocking when you think about this. George Washington, an amazing American hero, universally agreed upon, at least by Americans. I don't know if the British like him as much as we do. The next great hero in a military sense in America didn't come until a guy named Stephen Decatur. I've preached about him more times than I can count. 
and I don't want to bore you with it. But I'm looking at your faces and it doesn't look like all of you went, oh yes, obviously, Stephen Decatur. Thomas Jefferson was president. And Thomas Jefferson was not a guy who liked standing armies. Jeff Jeffersonian democracy really waits the way the populace feels and is scared of centralized power. Wouldn't go over very well with our present administration. And uh, it seems that off the Barbary Coast, the area that is now Tripoli and Morocco and northwest Africa to northeast Africa, that entire Mediterranean, had been exacting tribute from the United States. You know, that's not written in everybody's history books. It's apparently not something we're proud of. That rather than fight, we'd rather just pay a bribe under the table. And Jefferson, who was not a, not a military guy, he was an intellectual, said, I will not give one-sixth of the United States budget to pay off pirates. By the way, those pirates were Islamists. And their only motivation was to embarrass the United States by making them pay tribute to what they considered was Allah and Muhammad, his prophet. So Jefferson sends um, an ambassador. And the ambassador reads their Koran and brings a copy to Jefferson. And he comes back and Jefferson says, after reading what they say is their holy book, those are his words, not mine, the only medium by which you could deal with these people as a nation is through the medium of war. And Jefferson, not a pacifist, but not a military guy, ordered the very first marine invasion in history. Stephen Decatur was the captain of a ship called Enterprise, right? You young generation can get a kick out of that. And they had recently captured a ship and renamed it the Intrepid. And it was little. And it was in the style that they used off the northern coast of Africa. And it seems that a ship called the USS Philadelphia had been overrun by pirates while it was uh, struck a reef. Stephen Decatur took the enemy's ship, renamed it the Intrepid, went all the way off the shores of Tripoli, took a boarding party and got on the USS Philadelphia and decided that it'd be better to burn it to the ground than let the enemy use what God had given the U.S. for making peace around the world for slavery. They burned it to the ground. And so the Marines still sing a song from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli because it was the very first time in American history we had a Marine invasion and it was to deal with Islam. Do we still have a problem with Islam? It's a problem that will never be solved militarily. As a nation, that might have been the right thing to do. As people, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. What do we wrestle with? But if the first military act of our nation after independence was to deal in a natural sense with Islam, how can the church look the other way while Islam is growing around the world and in our own neighborhoods? Could it be because you're scared of Muslims? You know, they say less than 5% of the American church budget goes to missions. And out of that 5%, less than 3 not not three of the original number, 3% of the 5% goes to frontier missions. And of the frontier missions, less than 1% of the three goes to Islamic nations. 
you know, I feel called to Hawaii, you know. Why? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody feels called to where they're going to cut your head off, huh? And the gospel demands of us that we carry around in our body death that they might have life. You know where the biggest revival in the world that is not covered by the media in any way is happening? It's Iran. And those Muslims are seeing visions of Jesus because Jesus' followers would not go and tell them the revelation. Jesus had to do it Himself. I will not lay on my sofa and eat potato chips as much as I like them while Jesus' work is not being done. Our job is to raise up those who go and go ourselves and fund the ones that go and help restore them when they come back beat up and wearied and encourage everyone to go again. Amen? Are you a part of the great proclamation of Jesus Christ? Does your life speak a message that is worth speaking? In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Have you ever tried to square your life with those words, that 2 Timothy 3.12? Do you feel bad when you read Voice of the Martyrs magazine? Anybody in here get it? Do you some days love to open it and other days you just kind of stare at it like, <laughs> you'd rather not know sometimes. I want you to understand this is not some special eclectic group of Christians here. We are partners with everyone you have ever read about in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine because we are called of the same spirit, bought by the same blood, and hated by the same devil, or at least we should be. I don't want to cruise through life on the sea of humanity in a comfort cruiser when the living God has called me to a warship. Amen? You know, we live in a time where people are fascinated with so many things. You know how much I love C.T. Studd, don't you? How many of you have heard of him? Am I the only one in the room that loves him or do you like his writings too? He said this, The best training for a soldier of Christ is not merely a theological college. They always seem to turn out sausages of varying lengths, tied at each end without the glorious freedom a Christian ought to abound and rejoice in. You see, when in hand-to-hand -hand conflict with the world and the devil, neat little biblical confectionery is like shooting lions with a pea shooter. One needs a man who will let himself go and deliver blows right and left as hard as he can hit, trusting in the Holy Ghost. It's experience, i.e. lifestyle, not preaching that hurts the devil and confounds the world. The training is not that of schools but of the market. It's the hot, free heart and not the balanced head that knocks the devil out. Nothing but forked lightning Christians will count. A lost reputation is the best degree for Christian service. Come on now, a lost reputation, the best degree for Christian service. It's not so much the degree of arts that is needed, but that of hearts, loyal and true, that love not their lives unto death, large and loving hearts which seek to save the lost multitudes rather than guard the 99 well-fed sheep in the British pen. Turn with me to Psalm 104. Say there when you're there. 
If you have a Bible, you ought to turn. It's put on the screen, but that is just so easy. You know why we have the screens? For those that don't know enough to bring a Bible. But you ought to get familiar with your Bible. You ought to know where the Scripture is on the page. You ought to love the Word of God and therefore have some affection for the Bible that you read the Word of God in every day. Saints, if your Bible spends more time on the back seat of your car than in your lap with you crying over it, you need to ask God to revive your heart. If you can leave it in this church for an entire week and not notice it, you are in serious danger of being called out by your pastor publicly. I will throw your Bible at you from this stage. It's usually my own son's. I know, you can read it on your phones, you can read it on the internet. See, the Bible's become so plentiful that it's no longer precious. You know what makes gold precious? It's rare. You don't have as much of it as you'd like to, and that makes it valuable. Do you have more of the Word than you think you need? Do you have more of it than you would like to have? See, if you saw it as printed in men's blood as it actually is, it would be so precious to you. You know, I spend... 80 bucks on a Bible and 200 on a cover to protect it for a lifetime. And I've cried more over Bibles that were stolen than cars. Cody, am I telling the truth? Because I love God's Word. I see myself, as the Psalms say, in a battle. My hands prepared for war, my fingers prepared for battle, and this is my armory. I don't plan on losing. Mario, do you plan on losing... No, I believe in a victorious church of Jesus Christ. And for there to be a victorious church of Jesus Christ, the saints need to arm themselves. They need to get about the mission that we're supposed to be on and not playing around. Defining ourselves as victims. You in Psalm 104? Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's not a question. Praise the Lord, O my soul is a declarative statement. The psalmist is commanding his soul to praise God. Anybody wake up and not feel great today? Of course. The flesh never feels good on Sunday. It don't want to go to church. The flesh certainly doesn't want to be here and pray in the morning. And as soon as you get here and pray in the morning, your stomach starts to gurgle, your mind starts to wander, start thinking about Shipley's Donuts. And when we get to a place where people are repenting out loud, then it's like, dear God, i got a cramp in my leg. I, uh, I need to be somewhere, anywhere, so not here. <laughs> because the ever-narrowing way of the faith is a crucifying thing to the flesh, and it's supposed to be. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. It takes a man anointed by God's Spirit to be able to do it, which is why you can't be saved unless His Spirit draw you. That doesn't take responsibility away from you. It takes all credit away from you. You have a responsibility to call upon Him. You have a responsibility to, to worship Him, to love Him, to obey Him. He has the responsibility to fulfill His purpose for you. Psalm 138 says He will fulfill His purpose for me. I can never get it done. But as I'm obedient, He will get it done for me, in me, through me. Amen? Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. 
You know, we read these and these are church words to us. We sing songs about it. But a man wrote this out of a revelation he had of God. Have you ever thought about how beautiful it actually is the first time it was said before it became churchy to us? He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. Are y'all familiar with the term gospel light? Y'all heard that? Gospel light. Mm, It tastes great and it's less filling. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is an optional add-on. Prophecy? Oh, we're too big for that. Speaking in tongues? Don't embarrass anybody. Words of knowledge? Healing. Oh, yes, we'll pray for healing with you over there and me over here. Whatever is popular, fill the seats at all costs because money will win everyone. In fact, let's preach about money a lot. Let's let's preach about health, wealth, and success a lot. We could be mistaken for GNC instead of GOD. Maybe we could sell vitamins as an Amway scheme after church. The living God is not like that. You know what the cure for gospel light is? It set his servants on fire. See, if we are a blazing torch for Jesus, the world will never put up with this. They will recognize it for what it is. You don't have to complain about it. You just have to be different. It's like the two men that were walking and one says, I don't know why you go to church. They're all hypocrites. He says, well, why don't you come and be a real one? See, there is a responsibility that we have to represent Jesus accurately. We don't have to point out every instance that someone's not. We just have to live in a way that expands the image of God, the likeness of God, and the rule of God. This was man's original mandate. I've mentioned it every week for as long as you've known me. You show the world what God looks like. You show the world what God acts like. You show the world what his kingdom is like through your daily actions. Or you show them what he's not like. We have a choice to extend heaven into people's lives or extend hell into their lives simply by the way we react to them. Gospel light tastes great, but it is less filling I can assure you that if that's all people are getting, they're hungry. They just don't know where the buffet is. And how will they know if no one tells them? The hurting world is not craving a metrosexual gospel. They're not looking for some new trendy thing. The hurting world is craving the power of God. It's what they need. You know... It's largely attributed to Wesley. He said, what's the secret to the success of your ministry? And John Wesley is reported to have said, I set myself ablaze with the holiness of God and they come to watch me burn. If you Google that phrase today, 
In the top 10 results, you're going to see at least three enormous rebuttals. John Wesley never said these words. You know who they're written by? United Methodist ministers. Think about the irony in that. They're offended at the thought that John Wesley would have talked about being on fire for Jesus because they're supposed to be followers of Jesus as Wesley was, and they're not on fire for Jesus. So they take up space on a page not to make a gospel proclamation, but to refute a quote that they don't think Wesley said because it's indicting to them. And isn't that what we do? If we don't like what's being said, we change the channel, we change churches, we go find somewhere we do like what's being said. How is that not Paul's warning to Timothy? They'll raise up for themselves teachers that teach what their itching ears want. goes on to say they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. Guys, you would never go to a doctor to tell you every day you're healthy. You wouldn't pay him for that. You go to him precisely because you want his expert opinion about what needs to change for you to become healthy. Wellness visit, what a joke. We hadn't had insurance in 20 years. I got Holy Ghost assurance. And so I don't know what it is to go to the doctor when things are going well. If we've gone to a doctor, it's because we fasted, we've prayed, we've, we've done everything we know how to do, and now what seems wise is to, to get an ibuprofen. <laughs> Not an ibuprofen, an ibuprofen. And very often we've done that and been healed in the doctor's office. We think, golly, if I could have waited five more minutes, then I wouldn't have this enormous medical bill. Price of an education. Hmm? Our resistance is not the United Methodist. I love Methodist. I especially love the Asbury Methodist of the 60s and 70s as they got filled with the Holy Ghost and went out to change the world. If I'd met Wesley, I would have been happy to be instructed by a man who had been touched by God like that. As he wrote in his journal after he had, had his visit with the Moravians, I was strangely warmed in my heart. We could have talked about what that meant because I also have been strangely warmed in my heart. It was the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Our battle is not with other Christians. It never is. We are meant for the devil's wrath, not God's. We are meant to be in conflict with the devil. We need to keep our eyes upon liberating people, not getting into childish cut-down wars. You need to know that resistance is always going to come from friendly fire, though. Samson's people were the obstacle to Samson's calling, not the Philistines. The Philistines, Samson knew what to do with. His own people, he let them tie him up over and over. And the girl that he thought was his friend was putting his eyes out. Saints, you need to be in a community of believers that feels a call of God. You need to acknowledge your call of God to everybody you know so that they can encourage you in it. You need to fan yourself into flame. We need to be servants that are ministers of fire. Not lukewarm, sleepy, saved Christians. 
He's a great evangelist. He was quoted as saying, great results cannot be attained without both envy and opposition. Boy, there's never been a truer statement said. Envy and opposition. His name was Oswald Smith. And while you might not know his name, Billy Graham considered him one of the greatest evangelists to have ever lived. Oswald Smith was a pastor, a missionary, and evangelist from 1889 to 1986. Early in his ministry, he was told he was too small and frail to do missions work. But he had deep, masculine, holy convictions. So he endeavored to send over 500 missionaries around the world. His convictions were so deep that his health didn't deter him. He eventually went and did more than 20 world evangelism tours. Over the course of his 80 years that he preached, he preached more than 12,000 sermons in 80 countries and wrote 35 books that were translated into 128 languages. Not too bad for a frail little guy. There was also 1,200 poems, more than 100 of which have been set to music. Could we put 2 Corinthians 12.10 on the screen? You can sit and tell God all day long why you can't do something, why it shouldn't be you, why it needs to be someone else. But Paul said this, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that God's power worked best through him when he couldn't claim it came from him. In other words, trials, weaknesses, difficulties. God calls you to do something, of course it's hard to do. Of course you think you might not be able to do it. Of course your knees might be knocking together and you want to throw up and that's what makes Him Lord and not you. When He speaks, it cannot be an option. It has to be a commission. How many of you have had a revelation of God? What is your response? How many of you have had a revelation of God? I have. It demands a response. How could you know about the cure to cancer and sit on it? How could you know about the secret to ending abortion and sit on it? How could you know the cure not just for cancer but every disease and sit on it? When you have a revelation, it demands a response. The question is, what is your response going to be? I'm too weak? That's where he shines the best. This pastor is a weak man, but I have learned how to do something. The Lord's moving through weak people. In Oswald Smith's life, his weakness actually increased the veracity of God's testimony through him if he was the best speaker on the planet, if he was the strongest on the planet and the most well-financed on the planet, if he wrote books that said money cometh and it did, then where would the testimony be? The testimony is that he was often underfunded. The testimony is that he was often sick. The testimony is that he was often scared, that he was often frail. And God's work got done through him anyway. That's the testimony. This criticism and opposition ultimately serves to be the proving ground that shows the difference between our fancies and our God-given vision. 
I'm a pastor, so every day somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I think God is telling me blah, 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 blah. I mean, they don't really say blah, blah or yada, yada. But they say something. I have a wait and see attitude. There's a reason for that. God can't have called you to Israel and called you to Africa and called you to China and called you to get married to that girl over there. And when that didn't work, this went over there. God is not a schizophrenic. So I wait to see what you persevere in. See, when God calls a man to do something and the man is faithful to God's call, he perseveres through difficulty. And those difficulties actually be the thing that shape the character in him to handle the success that God will give him. You beware of people that say, God called me to start such and such. And the first day there were 10,000 people there. If that's true, and it's really God, then there's a book missing from the Bible I, I just haven't seen. Maybe it's in that Catholic Apocrypha. Because I have found that through hardship, through difficulty, God trains you to be obedient to His voice. He builds into you the character that can handle the success so that pride does not overtake you. Francis, Francis Frangipani said, To inoculate me from the praise of man, he baptized me in the criticism of man until I died to the control of man. Oh, I have loved that. I never minded if people were talking about us as long as they were talking. Does your life even provoke a conversation? Or could you be mistaken in a crowd for any other person in the crowd? You know, Jesus will use even the outlandish. He really will. Have you ever watched a video of Catherine Kuhlman? She floated around like a ghost and she whispered in some strange... I mean, I'm not picking on her. I mean, I'm really not. I'm saying God uses peculiar people. You ever read some of the things Kenneth Hagin wrote? Ha! I, I like Kenneth Hagin a lot more than the people that like Kenneth Hagin. It's, it's a strange relationship. But, I mean, this great man of God said, bless their sweet little hearts and their great big stupid heads. <coughs> he said that. You know, I mean, God uses peculiar... I was just at Times Square Church in New York. I love David Wilkerson. He's now with the king, a great captain who's with the king. But these were peculiar men because we're a peculiar people. I don't want to just get along with everyone else. I don't want to be one pine cone in a list of 100 pine cones. I'm just fine being the apple in the bunch because at least it gives you a chance to fulfill Peter's scripture that says be prepared to ask everyone or be prepared to answer everyone who asks you about the reason for your hope. When's the last time you were shining so brightly that people said, hey, what's different about you? Because that's normal Christianity. That's how it's supposed to be. You know, we could learn a lot from the boxing community. That's a strange thing for a pastor to say. But today, boxing's fading in glory. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, if it's not a heavyweight fighting, nobody watches it, except in Latin America. They still watch it. Today, everybody's watching MMA. And one of the guys that is the most talented fellow in MMA, and I like him because I don't watch MMA anymore. I don't watch TV anymore. But many of you were there when we did. <laughs> he could fight in the 155 pounds, 
Sometimes he dropped all the way to 145. And he also fought as high as 185. You know why? Oh, well, let's start here. The guy is, uh, parents are very wealthy. He doesn't have to fight. He doesn't have that testimony. He says, I grew up on the streets, all scrap. He just likes to fight. His name's BJ Penn. One, because this is pretty short, this route. Two, get off. Turn it upside down. Place my hand on it for a little padding. Oh. Here, pinch it with my thumb. Open my hand as wide as I can so it doesn't crush my knuckles. Go over. Grab my wrist once. Come up. Turn my pinky. Grab my wrist again. Support. Come up to the middle finger. Grab my wrist again. Come up to the index finger. Grab my wrist again. What a strange video to show in church. You can say, it's okay, Pastor, that's strange. I need you to know a couple things that B.J. Penn knows. B.J. Penn didn't wait for somebody else to wrap his hands. Usually you see a boxer getting ready before a fight, an MMA before a fight, and they're standing in front of somebody and they're wrapping their hands for them. B.J. Penn planned on hitting somebody hard enough that he might injure himself if his hands weren't wrapped. B.J. Penn knows he's in a fight. Psalm 104 said, He wraps himself in light as with a garment. Let me ask you, what are you wrapped in? And there's a reason I'm asking you, what are you wrapped in? The Jewish nation that is like an older brother to us. They have something they call teflon. Uh, some Bibles translate it phylacteries. Now, if there's an Orthodox Jew here today, you'll get upset with me because this can't touch the ground. But to me, it's just a leather strap in a box that's an example. God told them in the book of Deuteronomy to bind their hands with the word, to put it on their forehead. So it's not uncommon to see a Jewish man hold this box with God's word in it and wrap his hands with it. And every Christian goes, oh man, that's just, that's just legalism, except at least he is focused on his hands or God's hands, that he's supposed to be wrapped in the very word of God because his hands are prepared for battle and his fingers for war. He is preparing to face the world and to make a difference in it. And the last thing he straps on his head is the box that has God's word in it because he's wearing the helmet of salvation. See, a boxer wraps his hands because he knows he's in a fight. When we don't wrap our hands with the word of God, it's because we don't think we need it. We're not in a fight. A boxer wraps his hands because he plans to hit somebody hard enough to do damage to his flesh. Do you plan to make an impact on the world in a way that could damage your flesh? Because every one of the apostles they tried to martyr and they succeeded with everybody except John. Was it just their job to carry the word? Was it just their job to put their flesh at risk? How did they succeed so many times? They were wrapped with the word of God so they were not injured out of the faith. 
B.J. Penn didn't wait for somebody else to wrap his hands, but the American church is saying, I want to, you wrap me. I'll show up on Wednesdays and Sundays, and you wrap me. Are you at war only on Wednesdays and Sundays? See, if you love the Word of God, it becomes a part of you. It comes out of you when you're squeezed. The Word comes. Where, Jacob Braun, are you in here? You were here the day that I shot a 16-penny nail through my hand. I pinned myself to my own fence in the backyard. How stupid, right? And Jacob rounded the corner as I shot the nail. And you know where my hammer was? It's over there. And I'm, you know why? Because I couldn't get my hand off of the board. It went through the knuckle. Jacob didn't hear foul words coming out of his pastor. Jacob heard me quoting the word of God because I was hurt. When you're clipped, when your own teammates aren't doing right, when your calling and plan is not going the way you want, what are you wrapped in, saints? Is the Word of God coming out of you? Or are you speaking whinies and calling the ambulance? We need to put a ban on global whining. I've heard enough of it. I love the Lord and I love His Word. Do you love God's Word? Yes. Spencer, do you love God's Word? David didn't take just a few stones. He took five. He was going to face one giant, but he knew he had brothers. I love John 3.16, but I'm tired of hearing it when it's the only scripture a man knows. Oh, they, they complete it with, judge not lest you be judged. They love that one too. They can't tell you what comes before it or after it, but they love that one. Guys, we need to be fully formed soldiers. We need to be filled with the presence of God and filled with His Word. By the way, do you know what teflon means? If you're going to say it in Greek, you say phylacteries. That's why so many of your Bibles say phylacteries, picking on the Pharisees who loved the longest ones. Well, at least they were wrapping themselves in something. What are you wrapping yourself in? Phylactery in Greek means to guard or protect. What are you guarding in your life? What is guarding you? See, the Word of God was put there because your thoughts are not right. The Word of God was put there because even if good and evil is sitting in front of you, you don't have the ability to choose good. The Word of God needs to make that choice for you. And the Spirit needs to aid it. This has been going on since the very first human beings. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Look at verse 9. Say, I'm there, Pastor. Oh, no. Come on, saints. What's wrong? You're tired. You had a hard weekend. What's wrong? You're doing all right, aren't you, Doug? I, look, I'll sit and preach to Doug. How about that? So in Psalm 119, Doug, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. How can you keep your way pure, Mario? What if you don't know what his word says? What if you show up and say, Would you wrap my hands? Would you tell me what his word says? Eric, would you tell me what is... That's fantastic, except the Word of God says you would need that no man teach you. You know why? He gave you His Word. It's sitting in your lap or in the back seat of your car or laying on your pastor's desk in an office for a few weeks. He gave us the Word. You have what it takes to prepare for battle. Did God call you to be a butter knife or a battle club? I mean, are you supposed to be a crochet needle or spread jam on crumpets? You're supposed to be an instrument of warfare. 
And the only way you'll ever do it, you want to take that neighborhood for Jesus, Mike? How are you going to do it? It's going to be proclaiming the Word of God. It'll cause everybody to take a stand for or against. I'm not promising universal salvation. Not even Jesus had that. But you can commit a man to a position. You can proclaim with your whole life the light of God's Word and let him react to it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. How many of them could he recount? There are 613 commands in the Torah. 613. And the psalmist is saying... I recount them all. When's the last time you recounted God's word? Oh, well, I got the prayer. Jabez on my wall, Pastor. Good, you and a bunch of heathens do. It's funny that they love the prayer of Jabez, isn't it? Why do they love the prayer of Jabez? They found the one prayer in the Bible that promises to expand you materially. They, they don't pray the prayer of Asa. They don't pray the prayer of Jehoshaphat. They certainly don't pray the Gethsemane prayer, but they want the prayer of Jabez. And you can have the prayer of Jabez for toddlers, for teenagers, for old ladies, for old men, for young ladies, young men. It's the latest Christian fad. Actually, it's already passed. We have a new one. Now we want gold dust and angel feathers and other parlor tricks. Why can't we just have the unadulterated power of God? because there's a cost to it. It requires you to love God's Word more than you love your own ideas. It requires us to do something with what we've been given and not be a great big dead sea. It requires us to be what our namesake says we are. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. If you were reading this in the average church, they would say, I rejoice in your great riches, because by your statutes I obtained them. The gospel is a fisher of funds. Prosperity pundits. Fishers of funds. Guys, can you imagine that all you ever heard about Jesus was he wants you rich? Because you can turn on the TV and hear it 24 hours a day. What does that say to you if your car is leaking oil on the driveway? Hmm? I was told... Jennifer and I were under the curse of poverty. We were 18 years old. We weren't under the curse of poverty. We were under the reality of stupidity. We were 18 years old. I didn't know anything. But I knew enough to love the Lord. And He's advanced us every year. That's not prosperity gospel. It's the gospel. I was in the country club of Louisiana and my car was the one leaking oil on their driveway of their million-dollar house. They were pretty people, man, Ken and Barbie. Just as plastic, just as manufactured. And I first encountered the gospel light in that setting. But you know what? If they found somebody that was demon-possessed, they didn't know what to do with them. They sent them to the guys with oil leaks in their cars that still had calluses on their hands. Amen, Charlie? Because not having any strength of our own, not coming from any nobility of our own, we knew how to rely on the power of God. In church, that's all there really is 
is a reliance on the power of God. So you meditate on his precepts and consider his ways. You delight in his decrees. And what's that last phrase say? Come on, church, what's it say? Now, are you saying that or is he saying it? I will not neglect your word. Say it. I will not neglect your word. Are we going to lie in church or are we going to tell the truth? How much scripture can you read between now and next week? Well, how much TV did you watch last week? Hmm? How, how many minutes of TV did you watch last week? Hours? I'm not saying you've got to throw away your TVs. I'm saying pick up your Bible. It's better. Occasionally, we watch a show on Netflix. I seem to like uh, these shows that are produced by Jews. They always have biblical themes, and they don't know it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. God just put it in their DNA. And so we've learned to look for a couple directors and whatever they produce, we like to watch. But I am not baptizing my mind in a television show. I'm baptizing my mind in the Word of God. And a television show is like a firecracker. It goes up and it entertains me for a very brief time and then it goes away. The Word of God is like the sun. He comes up every day at the same time. His brightness, the whole world can count on. It's not seen by a select few. It's by every man. Do you want to save the lost? So Nick wants to. What about the rest of you? Do you want to save the lost? See, I want to see people saved. I want to see more than a sinner's prayer. I want to see a life that changes. I've seen that in many of you, haven't we? How many of you were saved in this ministry or connected to us for years? You can raise a hand if that's true. How many of you were filled with the Holy Ghost in connection with this ministry? Don't you think there's more just like you out there? Hmm? Don't you think that they deserve the word in Liberia and Myanmar and Pakistan and also in Mission Bend and off of West Belfort and uh, in Town West? Don't you think they deserve the word? You have something that they need, and I propose we give it to them. Do you have a heart to do that? Nolan, do you have a heart to do that? What's stopping us? Hmm? What's stopping us? Do the people on your street know you? Is that guy that is always talking about Jesus, or do they not know you at all? How, how can we go across the world with the gospel and our neighbors don't? I assure you on my street, every person knows. They hate our parking situation. They do. Our music is a witness to them before the hour of midnight, you know? After that, I don't know what it is. I still don't plan to stop, but... Guys, we have to make a difference. God is depending upon you. I got another CT stud quote for you, and we're going to start to wrap things up. Is that all right? Or do you just want to wrap things up? What's wrong with y'all? We didn't bring our homeless friends in today and all of a sudden you lost your personality. DJ, are you doing okay? Ray, you doing all right? You know all about those phylacteries, huh? Your family grew up doing that, huh? That's awesome. I mean, that's a good thing. We could wrap our hands in leather and it not mean anything, huh? Wrap yourself in the Word of God and it'll thoroughly change you, though. 
Don't you think it's funny that people can look at a rebuke to the Pharisees about loving their long flowing robes and, and their phylacteries and, and they conclude that the phylactery is what was wrong? Don't you think that that's odd? What do you think it means to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel? Huh? One's an unclean little thing, one's an unclean big thing and they're, they're picking on the, the, the little thing and neglecting the big one. Guys, we could hunt out legalism in a moment and say, oh, what is that Jewish stuff here? Go eat a ham sandwich to prove your freedom. And all the time, you don't know a single scripture. Hmm? I'd whole lot rather have the phylactery and know the scripture. The man could quote the Torah, could quote it. Listen to what C.T. Studd said about our call. Too long have we been waiting for one another to begin. Libby. You're a little girl, a beautiful one. Abby, you're a little girl and a beautiful one sitting in a church. And you could grow up hearing these words all of your life so they're just regular words to you because you heard them all before. But you have to imagine that at some point you wake up in your life and there's more to them, Abriana. There's more to them because we're no longer asking what do people say about Jesus. We're asking what do you say? about Jesus. Too long have we been waiting for one another to begin. The time of waiting is past. The hour of God has struck. War is declared. In God's holy name, let us rise and build. The God of heaven will fight for us as we for him. We will not build on sand, but on the bedrock of the sayings of Christ. Apparently before there was a gospel light, there was a gospel light. And the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear before the world, I before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby Christian world, we dare to trust our God and we will venture our all for Him. You've heard me read this many times, haven't you? You're going to hear me read it many more times because I still hear His call. I see an ordinary man who's moved in an extraordinary way. And I'd be proud to serve God with men who felt like this. And I'm happy that I do. But I'd like more. I think the, the great work of God is being done by too few. We will live and we will die for him. We will do it with his joy unspeakable singing aloud in our hearts. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than living trusting in man. And when we come to this position... The battle is already won. The end of the glorious campaign in sight. We will have the real holiness of God, not the sickly stuff and talk of dainty words and pretty thoughts. We will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. Here are my final thoughts for us this morning. Could we put Acts 4.29 on the screen? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What was their prayer in the face of trials and threats? Boldness. They weren't praying to be removed from it. They weren't praying to be raptured. They were not praying to be translated somewhere else. They were not praying for the threats to stop. They were praying for boldness in the face of adversity. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
in the midst of persecution, in the midst of people saying they're crazy, they're weird, in the midst of them being thrown out of families for receiving Messiah, what was their response? We need to preach more boldly. We need to pray for the sick more often. We need miracles from God, and we will stretch out and perform them. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. A long time before the ground began to shake, the men's hearts began to shake. We've been inoculated from the power of the gospel because we've heard all of the talk and we've been in church so many times before that it can just be one more service. It's an affirming thing and a condemning thing. I told you I'm a complicated man. You see a guy come here from Holland. Y'all remember Mick? He walks into our prayer meeting after getting off of a plane from Holland. I've been that jet lagged before, I know. Probably doesn't know what end is up. And he walks in a room, never been in a church before. And he begins to weep and comes and says, I'm crying and I don't know why I'm crying. I said, I know. But you know what? None of us were weeping. He said, I just feel something here. But you know what? We didn't particularly feel anything here. Guys, we need to wrap ourselves in the Word so that we recognize the moving of God. Do you know who the last people to experience revival are? The religious community. Because you think you have everything that you need. You go read about Azusa. The ones who saw, we took that brick from Azusa Street. The people who stood on top of that brick and saw the fire fall. Those people were the religious outsiders, not the mainstream. The mainstream missed it because they thought they already had it. It is so important that we not allow apathy to take over in us. You can, we gave away $200,000 and we're still going. We could hang that on a wall like a trophy, just like Samson's jawbone. We could hang it up there. But Samson threw his jawbone away because it wouldn't be good for tomorrow. You hear me? We're not told to pray for yesterday's bread and brag about yesterday's accomplishments. We're told to seek it daily. We have to wrap ourselves in the Word of God. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's that say? Spoke the Word of God more boldly. I'm not going to begin to descend into a debate about whether or not you can be baptized in the Spirit and not speak in other tongues. I mean, read your Bibles. But one thing is absolutely clear. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost among all the things you may do, speaking the Word of God boldly has got to be at the top of the list. So tell me you're Pentecostal. Tell me you're charismatic. Tell me you're Spirit-filled. But don't speak the Word of God boldly. I'm going to say you're a child with a trinket. You know, I have Jewish things, but I'm in my heart just a Gentile with Jewish toys. I can hold those phylacteries, but they're not, they're not, you know what's special to me? They're a great sermon example. But if you grew up in an Orthodox home, it's something entirely different to you. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, Speaking in tongues and prophecy and those things are all wonderful. But proclaiming the gospel is everything. You hearing me? It's the power of God to witness. 
I love people come say, Pastor, how do you study the Word? Well, it starts with studying the Word. See, you never be able to study the Word without studying the Word. What they're saying is, can you step into my shoes and make me do it? Can you impose upon me structure so that I have to? And people will come and say, well, Pastor, how? How do I evangelize? Well, it starts by evangelizing, you know? You're asking me to teach you how to have combat and you haven't tried to throw a punch. You know what would be the best thing that happens? Pastor, I tried to share the word with 10 people yesterday. And I think some of it didn't go as well as I wanted. I talked about this scripture. What do you think we might could have done differently? You can steer something that's moving, friends. Pretty hard to steer something that's sitting still. Now, make no mistake, this pastor is proud of you. Okay, I'm not interested in pampering you, but I am proud of you. I love you. I believe you'd give your lives for the gospel. And you'd give your lives even for your brother's calling. I believe that because I've watched you demonstrate it. But that doesn't mean that we're exempt from the Great Commission. And something we are not doing well is we are not sharing the word with the people around us well. We're sharing the word with each other. We're sharing the word to foreign nations. But not enough of our neighbors are coming to visit. Not enough of the people from our workplaces are coming to visit. And what this means to me is we're living segmented lives. We're powerful Christians with other Christians. But when we're with the lost, you know, we're different and we're maybe just a little ostracized, but we're not all that intent on seeing them changed. I think everybody in your workplace and on your street and everywhere you go ought to know your name and know that you are intimately connected to Jesus. Amen? Y'all stand to your feet.